strange, isn't it, sometimes how we talk about worship, but we are going to worship God in the Word. Yeah? And uh, that's all part of our worship as well. I don't think you've ever thought of it that way, but yeah, we give honour to God in His Word. And um, we're coming, we're, we're well through our series in uh, Exodus. And this morning, I've titled our message, uh, which comes from Exodus 21 to 24, which I can't possibly read all of it, which I'm sure you'll be very interested to read, and I'd recommend you go away and read in your own time. Um, So I'm going to read a little bit in in a moment. But I've titled it, What Does the Law Require of You? What Does the Law Require of You? And so if you've got a Bible, it will come up on the screen in just a moment. Uh, Chapter 21, verses 1 to 6. These are the regulations you must present to Israel. If you buy a Hebrew slave, he may serve for no more than six years. Set him free in the seventh year, and he will owe you nothing for his freedom. If he was single when he became your slave, he shall leave single. But if he was married before he became a slave, then his wife must be freed with him. If his master gave him a wife while he was a slave, and they had sons or daughters, then only the man will be free in the seventh year. But his wife and children will still belong to his master. But the slave may declare, I love my master, my wife, and my children. I don't want to go free. If he does this, his master must present him before God And then his master must take him to the door or doorpost and publicly pierce his ear with an awl. After that, the slave will serve his master for life. Someone says, lovely. Reminds me, we used to sing an old hymn about that years ago. I will not. um, Sorry, what's that, Catherine? Pierce my ear, O Lord my God. Yes, I will not go out free. Um, that's a good discussion one for your lunchtime, okay? You can take that away and discuss that at lunchtime. Uh, and with this passage, we could preach on all sorts of parts of it. It's a, it's a big section, chapters 21 to 24. And uh, you'll discover as you read through it, there are laws concerning slaves, concerning personal injury, murder and manslaughter, health and safety, yeah, that's in there as well, theft, personal property, compensation, sexual relations, Uh, exploitation, lending money, false allegations, foreigners, care of the land, justice, and rest. Yeah. So it's quite comprehensive, isn't it? And they reveal to us God's God's love and concern for the lowest and most vulnerable in society. So I'd encourage you to go away and read that that whole section, uh, you know, this afternoon, if you like. I'm sure it will provoke a a lot of discussion for you. And perhaps a little bit later in the light of some of the things I'm going to share, it will give you some lens with which to read it. Then if you go over to chapter 24, and we read these verses. Chapter 24 and verses 3 to 8. So we come to the end, and, and then Moses went down to the people and repeated all the instructions and regulations the Lord had given him. And all the people answered with one voice, we will do exactly we will do everything that the Lord has commanded. And then Moses carefully wrote down all the Lord's instructions. And early the next morning, Moses got up and built an altar at the foot of the mountain. And he also set up 12 pillars, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. 
And then he sent some of the young Israelite men to present burnt offerings and to sacrifice bulls and peace offerings to the Lord. And Moses drained half the blood from these animals into basins, and the other, the other half he splattered against the altar. And then he took the book of the covenant and read it aloud to the people. And again, all the people responded, we will do everything that the Lord has commanded. We will obey. And then Moses took the blood from the basins and splattered it over the people, declaring, look, this blood confirms the covenant the Lord has made with you in giving you these instructions. Now, laws are a little bit like rules. Without them, we can't make much sense of life. You know, just imagine having sports with no rules. You know, just imagine having a football game where you could move the goalposts around if you wanted to. Just imagine if you could make up your own rules or different sides made up their rules to play that game. What a chaotic game that would be. And you could apply that to any sport you can think of. Tennis, you can think of cricket and so on. It would just make... It would be carnage, wouldn't it, if we could make up our own rules for sports. And, and yet, you know, we live in a world that wants to live by its own rules. It wants to do its own thing. It wants to make it up as it goes along. It, it's all about how it suits me. But when you look at these rules, these regulations, a, they relate to a community of people. They relate to their, their health and their well-being in society. And like, like, likewise, you know, for us, we, we just need some standards. We need some absolutes. Otherwise, life just simply becomes a free-for-all. It's anarchy. It's your rules against mine. Uh, it's all about individualism, which is actually idolatry. Rules, though, frequently need interpreting and explaining. You know, so uh, if, you, if you want to learn something about cricket, you need to understand the rules and how they work, and same with football and a whole host of other things. And uh, the same, of course, applies to driving too, doesn't it? Can you imagine if we, if we could all just drive how we want? I mean, some people seem to do that anyway, don't they? Um, you know, sometimes it's a bit like, well, where did he come from or where did she come from? You know, uh, didn't they see that red light? You know, um, but rules are there for our health and welfare and for the benefit of society, but they need interpreting and explaining. And really, chapters 21 through to 24 build on and explain the Ten Commandments in greater detail. If you like, they, they provide us with case studies in which to, to think about those things and to give some practical shape to them. When you read chapter 20, as we heard it last week from Barney, it, it sounds very, very black and white. Do this, don't do that. And yet when we come over into this, these chapters, there's a, a slightly different tone to them. It depends what version of Bible you've got, but... Uh, several of the versions uh, take the approach of, you, you'll find there's lots of ifs and, and, and but ifs, and, and, but if this happens, then take this into account and do this and so on. So it's helping people to, to process the commands of God. It's helping people to process the word of God. And, and we're gonna put, I'm going to put some points up here for you to see, but there's some points we can just draw out of this for this, this moment in time. The law was given to a particular group of people at a particular place and time. It was a vastly different world to the one that you and I find ourselves in. So we need to remember that when we think about the law. Secondly, it was part of their covenant relationship with God. We see that there right at the, at the end of that piece that I read. It was part of their covenant relationship with God. It was given by God, but it was also affirmed by the people. Thirdly, it would set them apart from the nations 
to be a light to the nations. They, they were no more deserving than any other group of people. God chose to love them. He chose to call Abraham and his family. He chose to call Israel and set his love upon them. And they were to be a light to the nations. It was also about the health and well-being of the whole. It was concerned with justice for all. And don't we live in a world where everybody wants justice in some way or other? But you've got to have a basis on which to work out justice. It was concerned too about the whole of creation, not just humanity, but also animals and the land. And we need to remember that the, the law was given as, here as, a, a, big, uh, as a, a part of the big story of Israel, which began with Abraham, runs through their bondage in Egypt, followed by their deliverance under Moses, and it is a preparation for them dwelling in the land. It was setting out, if you like, their legal rights. It was setting out how they'd work out, work, work out various disputes one way and another. But I want to tell you this, it wasn't necessarily fixed. And not necessarily everything was accounted for. There's a fascinating story in Numbers chapter 27 about the daughters of Zelophehad. I think that's how you pronounce it. Z-E-L-O-P-H-A-D. And, and a fascinating little story that you can easily pass over. That these daughters of Zelophehad, their father had died. They, they, they had no place for any inheritance whatsoever. In fact, they were, they were facing poverty. And they go to Moses and they plead the case that there is nothing for them whatsoever. They plead the case before Moses and the elders and they win their case. Moses and the elders, they take it to God and God says, yes, there's something in this. And, he, and the law is changed and that they, they are given an inheritance. Go and read it at some time. Fascinating little story in the Old Testament. The big question is, though, what does the law require of you? And I want to say straight off, nothing. Nothing, nothing at all. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Wherever that came from, wow. Yeah, because that's, that's, that, 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 that sums up the New Testament, doesn't it? What does the law require of you? Absolutely nothing. So I'm going to ask that question again. I want you to shout that back at me. Yeah? What does the law require of you? Nothing. Can you do better than that? What does the law require of you? Nothing. Yeah, absolutely. It's behind you. <laughs> it's behind you, yeah, and it's under you. It's be whatever. Yeah, we'll come to that in a minute. But what does the law require of you? Nothing. And yet, so frequently in the Christian life, the, if the enemy can't stop us being saved, he'll try and put us under something in some way or other. And one of the things he will try and put us under is law as a basis for the Christian life. And it's a horrible place to be. If any of you have ever lived there, I've lived there, and I know what it's like. You know, the, the Romans 7 scenario, the good that I would, I do not, and the bad I don't want to do, that I keep on doing. Oh, what a wretched man I am. Who's going to deliver me from this? Who's going to set me free from it? And Paul's answer is? Let's try that again. Paul's answer is? Jesus. Absolutely. Paul's answer is Jesus. Yeah. Um, but we need to back up a little bit, don't we? Because... There is a danger, and Paul picks this up in his, his book of, of Romans, and that the idea is that the, the law, it could be, he could be viewing it and saying that it's bad, and he says, no, the law is good. What we see here in the Old Testament, the law, it was good. It was written for a particular, at a particular time and place for a particular people to set them apart and help them in their relationship with God and with one another and the world in which they lived. 
Uh, the law is good. We find that in the Psalms, don't we? That affirmation of the goodness of the, the law of God, that celebration of it. And yet we know that we all fall short, don't we? It says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans uh, chapter 2. Uh, whether you're a Jew, whether you're a Gentile, whether you have the law or don't have the law, whether you have the law as an external thing, whether you have the law that's a thing within your conscience that somehow works there, we all fall short of that law, and we cannot perform it. And if we fail in one point, we break the whole law. Isn't that right? Yeah? So when someone goes through red lights, they're breaking the whole law of the land. Yeah? Maybe you never thought of it that way. But you're breaking the law. You've not just broken a law. You have broken the law. And, and so, you know, we have this sense here that we all fall short, whether Jew or Gentile, whether they were in the covenant or outside of the covenant. Everyone falls short of the glory of the God. That leaves us in a, in a helpless estate, doesn't it? What do we do? What do we do? So if you've got your Bible, we'll have it. Uh, perhaps you won't come up above. But Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 4. Romans 8, 1 to 4. A familiar passage. There is therefore now no condemnation. Oh, this is good. Yeah, carry on. For what the law couldn't do. Yeah, that's it. What the law couldn't do. What happens next? God did. Yeah, through the weakness of the flesh. God did by sending his son. I'll read it to you. Yeah. It's a staggering piece of scripture that sums up the nature of the gospel. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you, hallelujah, from the power of sin that leads to death. Sin will always take us downwards. The power of the spirit always lifts us up. Amen? Amen. The law of Moses was unable to save because of the weakness of our sinful nature or the flesh, as other versions put it. We're under that kind of domain which infects us all. doesn't matter who we are, what part of the world that we live in. What the law couldn't do since it was weakened by our flesh, God did. That deserves a hallelujah, doesn't it? God did it for you and for me, for us. And then you look at it again. It is that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. That, that is tremendous, isn't it? That is, that is liberating. And one of the things that Paul says over and over again, you look at Romans, you look at Galatians, etc., it is that we, we have died in Christ to sin. But not only have we died to sin, we have died to the law as a principle, as a way of life. Hallelujah. That we have been called in Christ to live in newness of life by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, you can have law and it, it can all be about a legalistic performance of Christianity. And it's dry and it's sterile and it's critical. It's judgmental, etc., but the life of the Spirit is a different thing altogether. It's a relationship. Because we have been born again through the Spirit of God, we've been made anew in Christ. We've been brought into a, a dynamic relationship with the eternal creator, holy God, the one who is thoroughly just in every way, whose justice has been satisfied at the cross in Jesus. Wow. Could stay there and preach a whole lot more, you know, because... 
because it is good, isn't it? You know, one of the things that, that um, the law has a habit of creeping up on us at times, doesn't it? It's the way the enemy works. I, I, I'm going to get you to lose your joy somehow or other. I'm going to get you to lose your freedom. That's why we sing songs that reaffirm truth. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So if the enemy can't stop us getting saved, he'll try and bring us back into bondage in some way or another. And when, we, when that happens, we lose our peace, we lose our joy, we think everything is about performing up to God and racking up the points and ticking the boxes so that God can bless us. No, he has already blessed us in Jesus. As we heard a little bit early on, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Amen? Amen. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's staggering. He has blessed you already in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You're as rich as you could possibly be. Isn't that staggering? Well, you know, look a little bit more happy about it, won't you? Because, you know? I mean, it, it, is, it is staggering, isn't it? To be in that place. And, you know, we're in a place where the enemy is under our feet because Christ, where is Christ? He is raised above every principality and power and every name that can be named. And where are we? We are in him. Therefore, the enemy is under our feet. The law is behind us, not over us. We're called to live by the Spirit. I want to ask you this morning, do you cherish Christ Jesus? Do you, do you really cherish him in your heart as a, a living, loving, dynamic relationship? Or is he just a person that steps off the pages of, of this book, you know, you read about, it's kind of like some good stories in there. He healed some people, he forgave some people, he delivered some people, he said some good things. Yeah, that, that's great, but you can do that about a lot of people in history, can't you? You can read their stories and some good things they did and so on. Have you encountered him in that living and dynamic way whereby he becomes your saviour? You know you're, you're forgiven, you know he's called you into relationship with himself and and you know that there is a life flow there because you have that connection. Galatians chapter 5 talks about living by the Spirit. That's our principle of life, not law. It is by the Spirit. It's, it's engendering that fellowship with the Holy Spirit, that dynamic communion with that third person of the Trinity. Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you on your own. I know you can't do this without me. I'm going to send one just like me to, to be with you to the end of the age. Just like him, Holy Spirit, present to us. He comes and fills these temples. In the Old Testament, he, he came and he lived in a tabernacle and a temple. And, and only certain people go, could go in there at certain times of the year. But at the cross, at the resurrection Sunday, that veil was torn in two and God said, come in. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? No more priests, no more sacrifices, no more nothing. Jesus is everything. Isn't that wonderful? But it comes back to us at times, doesn't it? This business of law, it comes back, it revisits us. It's one of the things that sometimes new Christians struggle with because they, maybe they never read the Bible before and they start reading it. And I'm just reading some stories about in missionary situations about people who, who they get converted and they start devouring their Bible, which is great, but they don't know what to do with it. So they're reading some of these Old Testament things and thinking, you know, pastor, shouldn't we be doing these things? And, well, there's some good things in there. Like, if you get married, you can have a whole year of honeymoon. <laughs> yeah? 
I mean, there's some, <laughs> but you know, there's a, do we apply that today? No. <laughs> but there's all sorts of things in there that sometimes people get caught up, and the world knows a lot about the Bible as well, doesn't it? And one of the things they will throw at the Christian is you cherry pick. You pick out certain bits of the Bible that suit you, and you, you, you cast the others to one side. So what are we supposed to do with things like that, arguments like that? And I want to give you a framework in which just to think about those as we, as we come in. 2 Timothy uh, chapter, two, chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says this, doesn't it? It says, all scripture is God-breathed. This whole book from Genesis right through to Revelation is inspired by God. I haven't got time to go into the nature of inspiration and so on and so forth, but suffice it to say that the whole book is God-breathed. It is given by God. It is breathed out by God. God speaks to and through those human authors and uses even those human authors in their particular identities and styles. One of the problems with modern versions is they kind of flatten everything because it's the nature of, it seems like, modern English. You know, they want to sort of speak the same way, it seems to me, at times. You know, And, and so you can read through some of the more modern translations and things like Mark goes flat, whereas you read it in some of the older ones and it's, and suddenly, and suddenly... Whereas modern English is, you've got to keep changing the word. That way you lose the impetus, I think. Anyway, that's my personal opinion. But, you, you know, there's, there's this dynamic that is there. All scripture is God-breathed and is profitable. So that means even the, the, the commandments and the, the, the explanations of them and all sorts of other parts, parts of scripture you don't normally think of visiting. All scripture is profitable. How do you make it profitable? Well... Number one is ask this question. What did it mean to them in relation to God and others? An example here is for them, what, what did it mean to be holy? Because it's setting out a certain code of life, an understanding of God and, and a way that they were to relate to, to him. What are the differences between then and today? That's another question to ask. Things have changed. Things have moved on. There has been a radical movement in the, in the way God is working. Christians are no longer under the law in relation to God, and we do not need priests to make sacrifices for us. So that has changed. And then again, what, what is the universal principle that can be drawn from this, this, this particular text? And one of the things, we again, we come up against is God is holy. God is absolutely holy. And his people, therefore, should be holy. And if they sin, they must be purified. And fourthly, we ask this question, is it reaffirmed or modified in the New Testament? For example, the, the terms clean and unclean have a different definition. When you come over into the New Testament, Mark chapter 7 says this, nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. So we see a redefinition there. So when we take these things and we use them to go back and, and look at Exodus 20 and then 21 through to 24, it gives us a framework in which to, to deduce what God might be saying to us today without becoming legalistic by it. And we can do that with various other parts of Scripture as well. 
So here we are in Christ. Hallelujah. Here we are, new creations. Here we are, born again of the Spirit. People who know the Spirit's indwelling. Here we are as as people who've been called into a a dynamic relationship with God in Christ through the Holy Spirit. And of course, one of the major factors when we come to think of how we approach the Word of God is, I know whether you do it, but do you ever go to Scripture and say, Holy Spirit, please speak to me through this book? I don't understand this. Please would you unfold this passage to me? Because we have an anointing that abides. And it's an anointing that teaches us and instructs us. I was reading the other day about a, a lady who had been a, a Methodist minister and pastor and theologian for, for 17 years. And she said, I, I never understood this. And she said, then one day I, I got, she, well, she got healed, a really dramatic he- healing. And she got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And suddenly she found herself devouring the word. And as she was doing so, the Holy Spirit was teaching ways teaching her in ways that uh, theologians had never done. That dynamic life in the Holy Spirit. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah? Yeah. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah, okay. Yeah, so there we go. Um, It's encouraging, isn't it? So as we draw to a close this morning, I want to ask you a few questions. Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Yeah. But I want to say to you, if you don't, you can go out of here this morning knowing him. There's nothing you need to do because he has done it all. Jesus died on a cross. He came actually and he fulfilled the law. The law was fulfilled in Christ. And then he took our sin, all our wretchedness, and he bore it on a cross, bore God's judgment. He went down into death for you and for me. Everything that you know is bad about you and more. He took it all. Singing all about that this morning, the amazing grace of God, isn't it? He dies and he pays the price and he rises again. He lives today at the Father's right hand. And he says, will you come? Will you come? All he asks of us is that we admit our sin. That we repent of it. That we simply believe in him. By grace are you saved through faith. And this is the gift of God. Jesus loved nothing equal. Everything. Do you know him? Secondly, are you living a life set apart for God? Because this is one of the things that as a principle we can draw out from those Old Testament scriptures. They were called to be set apart unto the Lord as a witness to the nations. Are you living a life set apart for God? Or is your life somehow mixed up in the world? You know, are, you, are you doing the splits? You know? One, walking in the kingdom one way and walking in the world the other way. You know? It's not, not very comfortable, is it? <laughs> I won't go any lower. <laughs> um, but are you living a life set apart for God? And then again, are you reading the whole word? Do you cherish the whole of Scripture? 
And I want to encourage you to, to dig in, to feed upon the word of God, to, to look to the Holy Spirit to make clear what it means. And then, are you listening to the Spirit in the text? That's the important thing. What is the Spirit saying in this text to me this day? That I might live for God, that I might be a witness to him. And then lastly, what will you do this week in response? Will you just nod your head and say to one or two people, enjoyed that, that was good, and forget about it? Or will you take something away? Has God spoken to your heart? Let's just pray. Oh, God, we, we bless you for the gospel. Jesus, you, you are amazing. You stagger our hearts and our minds. Nothing and no one compares to you. You came into the, the darkness and depravity of this world and you, you lived a life that fulfilled the law. Pilate could say, I find no fault in him. And yet you died bearing our sin. You were made sin for us in order that we might become the righteousness of God. Whoa. That's staggering. Lord, it blows my mind when I think of that. And we praise you that whom the Son sets free is free indeed. That we are dead to sin, having died with Christ. That we are dead to the law of a, as a principle of life. Lord Jesus, help us to live in that liberty whereby you have set us free. Help us to live by your spirit. A life that marks us out as your people and as a light to the nations. In Jesus' name.